Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the 4 Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and this week my guest is GolfWeek assistant editor and college golf guru Lance Ringler. When the NCAA at the end of October announced that it was going to be changing its policies, basically allowing athletes, basketball players, football players, golfers, the ability to make money and potentially earn a little bit of cash off of their name and likeness and image. I knew Lance was the guy to talk to. Lance is as dialed in to the college golf scene as anybody in the United States. And this has some very strange implications for amateur golfers. And Lance and I went pretty deep into what exactly we know, what we don't know about this announcement from the NCAA. We talked about how it may affect players not only in the college ranks, but then also those same players trying to get into events like, for example, the U.S. Amateur, or the Masters, or the U.S. Open. So many questions, and Lance is just the guy to answer them. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Backbook, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the take-anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. Okay, making his inaugural appearance here on the 4Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com is Lance Ringler. Lance is assistant editor with Golf Week and also basically our college golf analyst and guru all around. Lance, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Excited. Excellent, excellent. So uh, has, the, has the, all the candy from Halloween worked its way through your system and now are you, uh, are you awaiting turkey? I mean, we're in November. And my, <laughs> at least internally for me, I'm thinking automatically turkey at this point. Yeah, my kid's a little older now, so I didn't, I didn't see a bunch of candy laying around downstairs last night. So, uh, but I'm sure I'll find some somewhere. <laughs> so I took a look at uh, your Twitter account, and if you're a person who likes college golf and is into this, you should definitely check out Lance's Twitter account because I think that on October 29th things got pretty interesting. Um, for those of you who are not aware, October 29th was the day of reckoning in some ways. It's a uh, the beginning as, as a former college athlete. I can tell you it's a day that I wish had happened when I was, was, was getting out there in, in school, but the NCAA announced that its top policymaking group basically voted unanimously to permit student-athletes to participate in athletics to have the opportunity to, to basically make money to benefit from the use of their name, image, and likeness. So, for example, in a perfect world then, if you were at Duke University and you walked into the student bookstore and you saw a Zion Williamson jersey, uh, up until now, basically Zion Williamson would get nothing out of that, but Duke University obviously would benefit from it. Starting in around jail, starting in 2021, and we'll get into it with Lance a little bit. Athletes will be able to make some money off of things like that, and a lot more. And Lance, I want to sort of get into this with you because there's a lot of things that we know and a lot of things that we don't know. 
Um, but I guess first and foremost, I think a lot of people are thinking that football players and basketball players are going to be the real winners when it comes to this announcement and everything it means. But it's going to have some big ramifications for college and amateur golf too, isn't it? Yeah, I think that initially, Dave, I think a lot of people <clears throat> look at this and think, oh, you know, this only applies to, you know, the college football Heisman Award candidates or, you know, a Zion Williamson type. But um, I think this can uh, can can stretch pretty deep in, uh, in in non-revenue sports as well, and especially in golf, because everyone relates with golf. I mean, p- people that 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 the boosters, the supporters uh, people that own businesses, a lot of those people we know play golf. And I think that their relationship, uh, or they're, they're wanting to build relationships with golfers. I think we could see this, this sort of thing dip into golf, maybe more so than like a, uh, you know, a field hockey team or a lacrosse team or a soccer team. We could see right. this really dipping into, into golf a little bit more so than, than uh, other non-revenue generating sports. There's no question that the biggest impact would come with your footballs and basketballs. But, yeah, th- this could dip down into, those, in, in the, into golf, and we could see some, some unique things. Well, I think a, a lot of it, the, the television model for the PGA Tour has been that the, the audience that they capture on Saturdays and Sundays on CBS or on Golf Channel, on, on NBC, et cetera, is a very affluent decision-making sort of audience. And so that's always been the appeal. It doesn't get the ratings week in and week out that certainly the NFL or the NBA are going to get, but it gets the right audience that a lot of advertisers want to hit. With that sort of in mind, how much demand do you think there is for companies, individuals, whatever, to associate with, you know, for example, the Cole Hamels of the world? We, 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 Cole Hammers of the world. We talked about you know Duke and Zion Williamson and jerseys and all that kind of stuff, but are there really – Small businesses out there in the Austin, Texas area that that are really interested in in latching on with Cole Hammer. Do you think it gets past just the local small businesses in places like Austin, Texas, or Stillwater, Oklahoma, or Palo Alto, California? You know, it's a great question, Dave. Honestly, I mean, if we look back, and and, and there's a few names that come to mind. Uh, Obviously, you're using Cole Hammer right now, but let's let's go backwards. Matt Kuchar, um, Ryan Moore. Uh, Ricky Fowler, Bryson DeChambeau, and more recently Matthew Wolf. Those guys all probably would have demanded something on a much more on a, on a more regional, national level mm-hmm. uh, because of what they accomplished. I mean, you remember when Kucher came out? I mean, he turned down a lot of money just to stay in school, so he would have had the opportunity to make a ton of money while he was in school, probably. Um, but I do think that locally you, you know your car dealerships your your restaurants um all these types of places might i might want to identify with with a local golfer um and, and that's where it gets really creative the you know I, i've talked to a lot of coaches and they always talk about the supporters and the boosters that want to help their program well now mm-hmm. they can they can help yeah. the program but they can help the student athlete directly and I, there's a lot of people that just want to be in the end. You know, they want to be, they want to say, hey, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm friends with this guy, or I, I or this, this guy's helping. You know, I, I'm putting him on my billboard. And sure. there, there could, there could be a lot of that, and it could be, it could be beyond the Power Five type schools. I mean, you know, it, it just depends on, you know, the person and 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 what they want to do with this. And so, yeah, it, it, this could, this could be pretty big in a in a in a local community. Do you think that you're going to see the benefits going to the schools that predominantly are going to be in, in larger areas? I mean, the players that you just mentioned, obviously, Matt Kuchar, Georgia Tech, 
Um, Ryan yeah. Moore, UNLV, Bryson DeChambeau at, at SMU, obviously in, in the Dallas area, et cetera. Um, do, you, do you have a feeling that you're going to need to be, or the, or the schools that are in and around larger, if you want to talk about like golf-centric places, all of those cities that I just sort of mentioned, great golf towns, um, you know, with, with a really strong program, all those, you know, regionally with um, Northwestern University, Chicago, another great golf town. Do those places inherently just have advantages when it comes to this kind of stuff, or are those the schools that, that already had big advantages, and this is just one more way in some ways that the rich get richer? Yeah, there's certainly the, the rich get richer, and that's like one thing that we haven't talked about and no one's really talked about is how this could affect recruiting. Yeah. Um, and that, that's a very slippery slope there. But, yeah, obviously the, the, the larger markets, there's more opportunities, there's more money, there's more people. But I, I can see this in, in smaller markets as well um, with – you know, one example in an upcoming column I'm going to have in the magazine that I talked about is just think, think about um, a local country club or public golf uh, facility, and they want to promote ladies' night. And part of that, they want to have the local golf team or the local golf university stars come out and pay them a couple hundred bucks to help with a clinic. Um, you know, just to be there with the ladies, you know, maybe they're wanting mm-hmm. to boost the tennis. So th- people could get really creative with this. But, you know, at the very opening of the podcast, Dave, you said something, there's a lot of things we know, a lot of things we don't know. I certainly think there's more things we don't know. And and what happened with this is is when the, when the California came out and they passed this bill, yeah. everybody was like, at least I was like, great, big deal. The NCA is going to to you know veto this they're going to come up with ways and and like you said everybody got kind of shocked and we all turned our heads when they kind of said they were going along with this but if you read the announcement read the release that the NSA put out there's a lot of questions in there they don't ever say the word profit they say the word benefit um some of the points i mean i've never been more confused on an eight word sentence in my life sometimes when i read something from the ncaa so it also seemed that it also seemed that Mark Emmert they, they were intentionally being vague in in a lot of different yeah. places. I mean, it was within the statement that was released. It said that the board is going to be uh, is going to have a working group that's going to continue to yeah. gather feedback through 2022, April of excuse me, April of 2020, April of 2020. So the next basically six months, and that it's right. then going to ask each of the association's three divisions to make rule changes no later than January of 2021. But in nowhere in the release or in the, anything that I've seen. Does it come out and say, okay, athletes, whether they're basketball players or water polo players, whatever it's going to be, they're going to be allowed to appear in commercials in this way, or they're going to be able to endorse right. a product that way, but not this way over here. Things are really vague right now, aren't they? They are. And and so a lot of us, you know, are, are talking about this and I've talked to several coaches and, you know, we're all jumping way past, you know, going from A to Z real fast and just thinking about, you know, what this could look like. But then again, the NCAA really hasn't said that it's not just, it's not written out where they said, yes, these kids are going to be able to make money. They just said they're going to be able to benefit from their name, image, likeness. So there's still a lot of questions on what that might mean. Um, so who knows? I mean, I, we've been trying to go through all the, the different ways. I mean, I think it, it's pretty clear that it, there, at one point in the release, it, it talked about, um, that compensation for athletics performance or participation would be impermissible. Cause we were thinking, well, what if a, a local um, group was going to have a, a golf outing and a scramble and they wanted to have a, have players come out and play along with them and pay them to do that. 
is that does that fall under that category because they're actually it's an athletic performance and it's participating in golf right um so they probably aren't going to be able to play the game the game unless that's like i said there's a lot of questions like what if a charity is having them come out wants to pay them to come out and help them raise more money for a charity and so you just you can't really make a lot of sense out of what that release said except that something's going to happen we just really don't know what and then from there we've been trying to figure out all the possible scenarios on how this could work the biggest thing david where this could have the biggest impact for the student athletes is the kids that are coming into school with a huge social media following um because these kids on instagram and and tiktok Mm -hmm. and some of these apps out there that there's kids that have a lot of followers yep you know Looking at Mooney He, for example, last year at USC, she had maybe 150,000 followers on her Instagram. Well, that that would be that that could that's a powerful for thing some for money. some. That's a powerful thing for some brand to start associating with, and all of a sudden, exactly, if she starts putting up a few few sponsored posts. You know, influencers yeah. in the world of golf and certainly you know elsewhere get thousands, if not tens of thousands, of dollars for for a yeah. series of sponsored posts, and. Um, as you were sort of talking there, Lance, it got me thinking about the Oklahoma State program and obviously T. Boone Pickens, who recently passed away, was a big uh, promoter and a big benefactor for Oklahoma State University. And what, for example, I grew up in Syracuse, New York. Now, not exactly a, a golf maven or, or a, a golf you know, sort of area stronghold, if you will. Some fun golf courses to play up there, but the university doesn't have a golf program. Central New York is just not conducive to that. Let's say that, that there were a couple of benefactors or a couple people associated with the university that said, you know what, we're going to start a golf team, men's and women's. We'll play it, my local mods, we'll play it up there at local at Drummond's Country Club, which the university owns. And we are going to make it so that we are going to have a couple of events and we're going to pay the members of the team to come to a couple of member guests. And every member of the team gets fifteen or $20,000 as part of that deal. So there's basically, because right now one of the things that we don't know is if there's a cap, for example, on how much money. All of a sudden, you could theoretically, I mean, that's where you get into some of the recruiting things that you were talking about, but from what you have heard so far, would there be anything that would stop someone from doing that and all of a sudden some really elite players are like, yeah, you know what? As part of the recruiting deal, I I like the university. I can study some things. It it looks like a fun place. I've got some players I'm going to think... And oh yeah, by the way, it's tradition that everybody who's on the team makes twenty or twenty five thousand from these supporters of the team in off course stuff that's going on. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I, yeah. I like the idea because it's free market and, the, and athletes are able to get it. But boy, it's a big change from all of a sudden what, so what we're used to. And so that's why you think there's no way this is going to happen because that that's that's pretty much the end of college athletics. <laughs> it's it's it, interesting. It, it, yeah, I mean, if so, I mean, because you you know, if that is permissible, if that is going to be allowed, where that possibility, that kind of door can open, mm-hmm. well, the rich, you know, the schools that have deep pockets or the schools that have boosters that have money, right? That that's going to be a recruiting edge, a recruiting tool for for those schools, and so and, and might not, it might not even be a big school; it could be a small school. Well, that that's wants the to be thing really is, if if you get the school that has the right alumni, and if you get some people who, exactly. for example, really love golf, and you get smaller Division One schools, but they have people who are willing to pony up, then all of a sudden, it goes directly to the student, not necessarily to 
the golf course where the golf team plays or the clubhouse right. or the locker rooms or the weightlifting facilities that that's where a lot of money from boosters legally and justifiably goes to to try and make the program as enticing as it can be to potential recruits and hopefully get more success well now right. this changes everything i mean if you're allowed to do that then it, it gets right to the side part of the release which says you're being paid for your name likeness etc not for performance you know but but you're not going to recruit kids to that kind of situation who aren't really good you know and it's a it's a very interesting what were the coaches when you started talking to some coaches for your story that was in golf week magazine and and for your own stuff what were they saying when this announcement was made so i would say 75 percent of the coaches i talked to didn't know what to say because they didn't they didn't understand it they didn't know enough about it they they they, they just don't they don't know mm-hmm. um a, along with that a lot of them went well this is never going to happen in golf because golf has a different set of rules which we haven't even talked about well hold that, hold, amateur, I was saying, hold hold that thought because i've, I've got that right. one loaded in the chamber but but go on yeah so so with that thought and then they don't they just don't know um so you know obviously they're 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 thinking of all the scenarios like we've been talking about right now of what could happen but they don't know how it's going to look they don't know enough about it mm-hmm. a lot of coaches have been instructed by their athletic directors not to talk about it so you know there's just there's a lot a lot of questions on this deal and 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 I can't imagine that it just being a open free market to do with all this stuff because like you said it'll it'll be it'd be it'd be nuts there's got to be some sort of guidelines or limitations on this in some way hey lance hold on just a second let's take a break wechat has been enhancing the lives of hundreds of millions of users with its innovative features the most widely used chinese social media platform integrates instant messaging and social entertainment bringing about a mobile digital lifestyle on an easy to use app All right, so one of the things, Lance, that I also was sort of thinking about as you've been discussing some of the stuff in, in depth in, in talking to coaches, do you anticipate that people that would want to associate and, and take part in this are going to be more interested in associating with teams as a whole or with individual players? Because it's one thing, for example, to – and again, I'm going to keep going back to, to Cole Hammer because he's somebody who's played recently in the Houston Open and was a Walker Cup player and, and looks like he's going to probably turn pro and – be the real deal. And we can, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the players that right now are playing in collegiate golf at the end of this podcast. But if Cole Hammer is somebody that a local business wants to associate with, do you think that there's a greater likelihood that that company goes after him or after the entire, for example, university of Texas team? No, most likely it's going to be, they're going to go after the individuals. Um, You might have a rare occasion where you've got somebody who's just a huge fan of that particular school sport and and they may want to get involved with everyone uh, but most likely it's going to be individual based i would i would think gotcha I, I which would seem to make sense i could see universities and country clubs getting together and promoting the team as like this is the official facility of the university of oregon or this is the official facility of the north carolina tar heels golf program and come on and join and and whatever. And there's some, some benefits that are sort of go back and forth, but it does seem that you would, it would be more inducive or, or more attractive, I should say for a company to go with a player rather than the team. Yeah. And those, and those companies that do want to go with the team, 
they'll just go with the athletic department. They'll, they'll get involved with the marketing of the athletic department and, and go that route. Um, this does beg the question is, will the student athlete – okay, we'll just use – we could use a Matt Kuchar, Ricky Fowler, a okay. Matthew DeChambeau, Matthew. Yep. we could use Matthew Wolf, but we can also apply this to like a Zion Williamson. Will, will, will someone um, choose to spend their money with the individual athlete as opposed to the school's athletic department now? Is, is now the student athlete, is Zion Williamson, is Matthew Wolf now going to be in direct competition – with Oklahoma State athletic marketing or Duke's, you know, yeah. fundraising camp. I mean, so now instead of a, instead of a school, uh, instead of a business wanting to, you know, give the school fifty grand so they can be announced at the basketball games as the game day sponsor or this time, you know, this is brought to you by. Now, are mm-hmm. they just going to choose to go with the athlete? So now you're, you're putting a school and the student athlete maybe in direct competition with each other for dollars, which I can't imagine. Like I said, you know, the NCAA, they came out with this statement, and they really didn't say a whole lot. And the other thing that, that a lot, on Twitter I had a bunch of people say, talking to me about jersey sales and the, and the student-athletes, right. you know, being on billboards. Well, here's the deal, David. I don't believe that if Matthew Wolf is going to be on a poster for a local business, I don't think they're going to really – the school's going to allow him to wear – an school Oklahoma colors. State uniform, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's going to be. I mean, trademark. I, I just don't. I don't think that's going well, to be it, allowed either. It gets, it gets into is, a whole a whole other bit, and I'm not sure yeah. if we, we can answer this at this point. Maybe you can answer, but I, I haven't been able to see it. Like, let's say that um, there is a student athlete who is from Notre Dame. Now, Notre Dame is an Under Armour school. Um, right. Would, would that yep. would that player be able to accept money for wearing Nike apparel and footwear? Um, I would, th- well, here's the thing. Maybe yeah, when, it's maybe, not, yeah, maybe when it's, it's not in competition their, because that's not the official on their own, If they're just, you know, going to the, go on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, but yeah, but, but not, you know, not definitely not anything to do with the, they're not the school. Nike's not going to be able to pay a kid to wear in competition when the school's uniforms, it right. is probably, that's, right. that's not going to happen. Right. I can't see that happening. So, and, and yeah, there's all kinds of things like that. And, and um, it's wild stuff. There's so many questions. Yeah. So what I'll be interested in, it's sort of along the same lines is equipment manufacturers have been able to give re- amateur players pretty much any kind of gear that they want. Um, yeah. I, I've, I've talked to a bunch of different amateur players at the U S opens and <clears throat> U S AMs and things like that about where their gear comes from and how they get it. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of those things where, Stuart Hoggestead and I, he was on the podcast a couple months ago, right after the Walker Cup. And and I asked him about his gear, and, and he said, you know, he's had a really good relationship with several different manufacturers, and he gets it for free. I mean, that's just the, the name of it. Um, all of a sudden now, you get guys in college who are playing from one manufacturer, this or that, and they've always been able to probably get gear. But it seems like it would open up the chance for – guys to have endorsement contracts essentially that you're wearing the team's uniform but they all use their own equipment that equipment is given to them um i don't know it'll be really interesting to see if all of a sudden like you see guys who are playing in college getting paid by titleist or TaylorMade or paying or callaway or, or or something like I, that i certainly think we would see that uh with some elite players that they're trying to build that relationship with um for when they turn pro um but I don't, but like I said, once again, you know, 
they might not be able to do some of that within the school because the school might have a contract. See, in the past, here's, here's, here's something that's funny, Dave. In the past, there have been plenty of coaches who have been paid by, you know, a corporation, a, a golf ball manufacturer or a club company to have their team play a certain ball. Sure. And, 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 and the coaches have benefited from that. The coaches have been paid for that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he goes go the other way. Is now can the kid get paid for pay, playing uh, a Titleist ball or Taylor made ball or whatever? How how's that all going to work? Now now if that's happening, now the coach might not get paid because X number of players on the team aren't playing the ball. So there are there there's a lot there's a lot of issues with all this, and there's a lot of um, I've had two or three coaches just send me back a quote or send me back a text or something, and all it said was interesting times. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet. Well, let's talk a yeah. little bit briefly here towards the end of this about the scene and what's going on in college golf. Obviously, we just had the East Lake. Wait, wait, Cup. Dave, we didn't talk. We, we didn't talk about that. Oh, you see, that's the that's, thing, and, and, and that's the other big, big one here. And I'm even the one who told you to hold on to that. So obviously, the I problem know. is is that is that you get potentially two different definitions of amateurism yeah. with the yeah. NCAA allowing guys to profit from their likeness and image, but explain to people the problem they're going to have if they want to play in the U.S. amateur. Yeah, so that I think most people, you know, that follow golf know that if you're an amateur player, you can't you can't accept money to endorse a product. Basically, I guess what we'd be talking about here. Yep. Um, and that's exactly what would happen. So the thing is, and you know, you know the USGA better than I do, Dave. I don't think the USGA is going to change anything that they do. I would be, I, I, don't, I would be surprised if the USGA yeah, and the RNA are compelled to change their definition yeah, of amateurism to suit the NCAA. No. Right. So, I mean, they're just going to say, well, this is our rules on amateurism. I don't yeah. know what you guys are doing. But so in theory, could we have a kid be um, eligible to mm-hmm. play in the uh, Western Intercollegiate or, you know, the Tavistock Cup or Golf Club of Georgia Collegiate? Could we have a kid eligible to play in regular season college golf and in, in, in NCAA postseason golf? Yet ineligible to play in the USAM or the Sunny Anna or the Masters as an amateur. I mean, that's could we have that? And and could we have a kid that just plays college golf, you know, throughout the year, and then in the summer they don't play, you know, because they want the money. I'm, I've had a lot of people say, well, you know, amateur golf is important to them, though they won't take the money for that. I'm like, well, if, I don't know if you it tell depends a kid on every kid's situation. Every kid's situation exactly. is different. What it means for that kid and their family yeah. and the way that they've got yeah. their future mapped out. It's every. Every situation yeah. is different, and it would be ridiculous to think that we would have an environment of two different types of amateurs. You have teammates, yeah. literally, on at some programs who would have different levels of eligibility for elite tournaments, and they're, they're, they could be the number two and three player on their lineup, and one kid is getting ready to go off to qualifying for the USAM, and the other one is not, solely because right. the other kid took took some money here or there. It's... um. It'll be really, really interesting to see what happens basically over the next year. Again, if they, those recommendations are coming in April, um, we're, they're six months away, and it will be obviously scrutinized and all over the news, mainly because, again, of basketball and football. But there's subtle nuances in how it will affect other non-revenue-generating pro, you know, s- sports. Tennis doesn't really have too much of a problem. There are amateurs who are able to play in professional events and they sort of monkey around with some of that stuff to some degree. But golf seems like it's in a really unique position where I think that there is some money out there for the most elite players, as you've talked about. Um, but there are also motivations. Like, for example, if some kid qualifies and wins the U.S. Amateur, 
whose amateur status does he have to maintain, for example, then to go to Augusta National and play in the Masters on that exemption? If he's right. exempt, does he have to maintain his USGA exemption or the NCAA exemption? Or, or what? It's just, right. it's just going to be crazy, yeah. absolutely crazy. So. Yeah. And like, and like I said, I mean, there's obviously everybody immediately thought of the big names, the big the big money contracts possibly, but I still think that in college athletics, if this does go all the way through and we do see a lot of this being allowed in some of the ways we think, I think on the local level, um, not not life-changing money, but certainly no. money that can help a college kid get, ex, get extra toppings on his pizza on Friday night exactly. a type it's- of money. People don't it's, sometimes it's realize, like, yeah, when, when, when you're a college athlete, um, there, are pro, there are things, as it stands right now, that prohibit you from having certain jobs and making money in certain ways over the summer right. and, and doing stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, a couple hundred bucks here and a couple hundred bucks there makes your life a lot more yep. comfortable, you know, as a, as a college yep. sophomore. So, hey, and, so. And I think that's where we'll see some of this, maybe more so than, than, you know, the big stuff. Taking a look at some of the results, what have been some of the teams that have impressed you so far in the 2019 collegiate season? Well, you know, it's kind of a, a common theme. We seem to say this every year for the past so many years. There's just more and more teams that are investing in their golf programs that can compete. Um, you know, you know, maybe one of the bigger surprises this this fall so far has been Notre Dame. They've won, you know, I think three tournaments, uh, three or four tournaments to start the fall. Um, you know, there's no reason Notre Dame golf shouldn't be good, and now they 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 appear to be on the right path and. It's a team we haven't seen up there. You know, just looking at the at the at the golf week sagging rankings right now, you have a team uh, that's ranked 14th in the country, Colorado State. Who would think that they would be a top 20 golf program? Um, so, the the biggest surprise is just the fact that there are so many teams now that have invested dollars into their golf program, and these teams now can compete with on any given week. You know a lot of these teams can play and, and, and some of your big names don't necessarily are at the top anymore. So that's probably the, the biggest surprise. There's a lot of, there's a lot of mid majors in, in men's golf. Now women's golf, it still tends to, to gravitate towards the power five. And that has to do a lot with scholarship allotment mm-hmm. because they have six scholarships opposed to the men having four and a half and the women's game's just not as deep with players um, coming into college golf. But yeah, it's just, I guess, like you said, the biggest the question to answer your question. The biggest surprise is that there continues to be surprises. If that makes sense. No, I I, I totally get it. Do you see the the what you? It sounds like you're talking the depth of the quality in in men's yeah. golf, and I'm going to focus on that. But do do you think that's a direct result of continued emphasis put on AJG events, elite M, elite junior events in this case? And there there are numerically more kids who are getting involved with that stuff then there are spots and openings at the traditional power schools. The, you know, we, we've talked a lot so far about Duke and Oklahoma State and Wake Forest and the, the places that people traditionally associate with elite men's programs. There, there's just more kids than there are spots. And so if kids want to play, then all of a sudden you, know, you, you have to go further down in the lineup to places where it's legitimately like, oh, okay, so now they wouldn't have had a chance for a, a player of that quality 20 years ago. Now? Some of them are going to trickle into those spots. Yeah, I think I think you, you, there's a tr- there's definitely some truth to what you're saying. There's there's definitely a lot more players. I think though, if you look at it like this, where in the past every kid might have wanted to go to a, a Wake Forest, a Houston, an Oklahoma State. Now that kid is seen is is looking at a school you know that might not have that traditional 
golf history and they're wanting to go there. And, and so it's, it's, it's spread out more. And, mm-hmm. and I don't, I'm sure, I'm just like, I'm sure there's more players than there were 30 years ago. Obviously coaches are now recruiting internationally more so than they ever did. So there's definitely a bigger pool to grab players from, but there's also schools that offer just as much as the other school now. And, and, and then, and then on top of that, you have coaches at, Schools such as you know Liberty, Arkansas State, North Florida. You have guys coaching those programs who are trying. They're working hard, and that that hard work is paying off because they're getting some of those good players. And then coupled at you know couple that with the fact that the school is now putting some money and putting some resources behind its golf program. Mm-hmm. Now you got a team that can that can can play. So uh, give me two or three names of players that are going to be. I'm not going to say become household names, certainly in, in the spring, but it's going to be some of the elite names in the spring that people will eventually see maybe on the PGA Tour. Give me a couple of guys to that I, I should be paying attention to. Yeah, that, that's a good one because last year we had that incredible, you know, Colin Markawa, Victor Hovland, and and, um, and Matthew Wolf. I mean, that, that, yep. I don't know if we'll ever see any like that again. You know, at least it might be another 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. But uh, th- this class, I think, is still finding itself. Um, you know, a lot of there's a kid right now at BYU named Peter Quest who was really good last year and kind of got overlooked. And now he's come out this year, and he was briefly number one for a few weeks this fall. He's having an outstanding year. And then you got you – obviously, you've mentioned Cole Hammer. Uh, there's just so many players that are kind of like, who, who's going to emerge as maybe like the poster person for college golf this year? You know, there's no good one at, at uh, SMU. Luke Schneidergens, who's got the name because of his brother Ollie at Georgia Tech. Sandy Scott at Texas Tech. There's several players – um, who have some name recognition, you know, the John Augustines and, and whatnot. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know if we, if we can really just pick one kid just yet. I mean, this, this is a year where we could go back and forth and have several kids, number one. And the player of the year race this year, I mean, it's, it's wide open. It could go down. It, it's, it's likely to go all the way down right to the end. Well, then we'll have to have you back on the podcast here come spring for sure to give us the uh... – the outlook as we start taking a look at things like the Ben Hogan Award and, and the Nicholas Award and some of the other things and, and the NCAA championships. I really appreciate Lance coming on. How can people follow you on social media? Uh, Golf Week Ringler uh, on Twitter. So I try to keep everything going there, keep it fresh, and keep it fun. All right. <laughs> Enjoy. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks a lot. All right, Dave. Thanks for having me.